0: let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, not only to help us repent of our sins, but to help us in maturity, Lord. You turn the weak man into strong man, Lord, and it is only through you, Lord, that we can do all things, Lord, for you are the God of the impossible, Lord, and without you, we can't do nothing, Lord, Have it your way during this service. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
1: Through you, I, I can, can do, do anything,
0: anything, and I, I can, can do all things, cause, cause it's, it's you gives, gives me strength. strength. Nothing, Nothing is, is impossible through you. you. My eyes are open, struggles mm-hmm. are broken, I'm mm-hmm. living by yeah. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is impossible.
1: Close to this place. Would you just think of the Father right now, in heaven, for whenever present, Jesus. Oh Lord,
0: you far, Lord? come in this place, O oh God. Fill this place with Your presence.
1: Well, before we sing this song. Us to sing it knowing that he is the best dad in the universe, better than any father figure that we have as an example today. Not that we have bad father figures, maybe some of our parents, maybe our fathers haven't been in our lives, but right now we get to share in this moment with God the Father, the best father. So, as we sing this song, we've sing it before in this church, a good, good father. I want us to sing it from that heart of gratitude. I want us to sing it from that heart of knowing that he's here with us now. He's not an absentee father. He's not a deadbeat dad that these shows on TV are making seem dads nowadays. He is an awesome, he is a powerful, ever-present, glorious father. and He's here with us now. So as a child, with childlike faith, let's sing this back out to our It's like you're sitting in his lap and you're singing it to him. You're a good, good
0: father. Come on, church.
2: Meet with you. His presence is in your life is priceless. His presence in your life when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're going through a valley, or when you're in the mountaintop, it is everything. Because without Jesus, you are nothing. Without Jesus, there is no purpose, there is no peace. But with His presence, In our life, we have the fullness of joy. We have the fullness of love. We can experience all of his glory, all of his power. And it is such an honor that we get to worship together as brothers and sisters in the Lord today, gathered together in our freedom to say, Jesus, your presence is heaven to me. It is everything that I want. Nothing in this earth satisfies me. I have been left wanting the world will leave you high and dry oh but the presence of jesus is so sweet church there is nothing like the presence of jesus so we're going to sing that again with everything inside of our heart but we're going to say jesus if your presence doesn't go before me i'm not going to go because i want you to lead me i want to follow you i need to be in your presence every waking moment in my life so let's ready to worship and sing this song together again come on oh jesus Our lives, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the power that is to your name today. And we want to say thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us, that you will never leave us, and you will never forsake us, that we can have a taste of your presence every moment in our lives, God. And in this moment, we honor you. In this moment, we worship you and we say, Have your way. Take us deeper, draw us closer. Give us eyes to see what you see, ears to hear what you hear, oh God. We want to know you, and we want to make you known. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Won't you guys greet your neighbors as you find your seat? Give them a hug, a handshake. Let them know you're so thankful that they're here at second service. It's so good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming. At this time, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. The reason why we preach the gospel message is because we want every single person who comes through these doors to always know the good news that Jesus saves. And that we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. As the scripture comes up, I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. In Acts 17, verses 30 through 31, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Somebody say, repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I want to let you know that God is not overlooking our ignorance. Once Jesus came onto the scene, it's been over. Jesus came. He put on the earth suit. He came to earth, left the glories of heaven to become a man. He was God in the flesh, God-man, to take on the punishment that we could never pay. Cover the wrath of God that was against mankind because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We separated ourselves from a relationship with our Creator, and Jesus was the only answer. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that you can repent and be saved. And so He has given proof that He will judge the world one day in justice, and that proof is that Jesus rose from the dead. So you serve a God that is alive today, and He is gonna judge the earth the living and the dead and we will all have to give him an answer for the life that we lived so with all eyes closed all across this room you know if you're right with God and if you're not right with God and if you're not right with God I want to encourage you get right today today is the day for salvation you are not promised tomorrow the moment you leave this earth you enter into eternity Where will you spend eternity? Will it be eternity in heaven in the presence of our God? Or will it be an eternity in hell away from the presence of God? However you live your life on earth, in his presence or away from his presence, is how you will experience eternity. So as I begin to pray and you know you need Jesus and you got to get right with God, I want you to come into agreement and repent of your sin. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear the gospel message. And nobody will be uh, uh, canceled by their excuses. You will hold everybody to an account. So I ask that today they would soften their hearts to you. That they would open it up and say, God, I need you. I repent of my sin. I turn from my wicked ways. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your commands. I'm going to live my life the way you want me to live my life, Jesus. I surrender. And it is his loving kindness that will draw you to repentance so let that loving kindness draw you close today in jesus name and everybody said amen come on give the lord a hand clap of praise he is worthy he is so good as you stand up to your feet if you were serious about getting right with god as i prayed that prayer you know you're far away you've never or you've never had a relationship with god we're gonna have prayer workers up here in the front and in just a few moments during our fellowship time i want to encourage you to come and receive prayer be encouraged by their prayer and say God I'm committing my life to you and they'll show you how to get connected into the church so that you can start to be mentored at this time we're going to do our confession of faith we're going to recite our confession of faith the reason why we recite this week after week together as a church family is because this is our Christian worldview this is the lens in which we see the world around us are you guys with me one person thank you are you guys with me Come on, on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death burial, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, clap it up. Spend some time fellowshipping. Give somebody a hug and a handshake. excited to be at second service today, come on. Yeah. We welcome you guys out to Metro Praise International. Thank you for coming, especially our first time visitors. Please keep on coming by, invite your friends and family. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have King's kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. <coughs> Excuse me, and then Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. every week. God is blowing it up at Elevate. It's for students 11 to 18 years old. God is doing amazing things, and we're so proud of the team uh, that's there on Friday night. So if you know anybody in that age group, invite them to be here. Who's excited about the PR festival outreach? Come on, Puerto Rican festival outreach, June 18th at 9 a.m. That is a Saturday morning meeting here at MPI. We're going to get prepped, filled up, ready to go, laid out all on the street. So we want you guys to take it serious, take your days off of work, Trust that God will provide. So be here. We're going to go out as a huge church family at Humboldt Park preaching the gospel, winning souls for Jesus, doing skits and plays and testimony time. It's going to be awesome. So check out this video. We want to encourage you every week to really be gun ho about sharing your faith and street witnessing and preaching so you can start practicing now. But be encouraged by this video.
0: you know, that's, that's why we died on the cross, you know, to give you eternal life, to give you happiness, and to, to give you peace. And I feel like Jesus wants us to be up here, you know, to reach those people, you know, people who are hurting, people who 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 just have, you know, like issues that are going on in their life, you know, like I feel like see this is why we are here, to do his will, you know, as it is in
2: heaven. Come on, give it up for the body quapis. Come out strong. And then the day after that Saturday outreach, the following Sunday, June 19th, that next day, we're going to have our baptisms and Father's Day steak dinner. Come on. So it's going to be for both services June 19th, the f- the dr- directly the next day of our Boricua Fest weekend, June 19th, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Baptisms during both services. Father's Day dinner will be grilling steaks out in the back for all the dads. So invite your dads. Uh, to come, we'll we'll bless them, we'll treat them good, and it's just such an awesome time for us to see people baptized. It's one of our favorite things as leaders to see people b- uh, water baptized. So it's going to be very very special. So come on out, invite your friends and family. It's going to be awesome. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people, and our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. The way we want to connect you here at MPI is through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism so you can win other people to the Lord. Because God hasn't saved us just to kind of warm up that seat, right? Just us four, no more. we got to go out there and win souls. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Are you guys with me? Come on, look to your neighbor and say, it's time to connect. Here's a snapshot of what's going on this week for life groups. If you want the full schedule, turn your handout around. You'll see all the times, dates, locations, different types of life groups that meet all throughout the month for this quarter. Pick a place, get connected, find a place to belong, and build friendships in the church. So kicking it off Wednesday, we have the Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. Wednesday, we have our King's kids. They meet every week, infant to 11 years old, 630 here at the church for our children, World Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. Thursdays are gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meet at that address. They're hitting the streets, preaching the gospel. Lives are being changed, guys, so we got to keep praying that God touches our city and that we see revival uh, in, in the gangs. Every week on Friday, we have our adult Bible study, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. One is at the Govea's house, the other one is at the Walker's house. I mean, Govea's and Vivid's. Come on. So if you have not joined yet or attended any of those adult Bible studies, you're missing out. You want to be there, build a fellowship, get encouraged in the word throughout the week, and just know that there's people of God around that are there to encourage you to just keep on going. And Saturday we have the Ambassadors Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. here at the church. So God is doing it. Get connected. Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We do the 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life, one-on-one. So you get a leader. They'll take you through that book. You pick your schedules. You meet. They encourage you to really go after God and put him first in your life. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. That's where we train you to be a leader in the church so that you can one day be appointed as a deacon and an elder here so you can keep impacting your world for God and be all that God has called you to be. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. We want to send you out to do evangelism. Go street preaching every Saturday from 5 to 8. We're hitting the streets preaching the gospel. Lives are being changed and transformed. You guys are being refreshed. If you've never done it or scared to do it, pray. Ask God to give you the boldness because you have the boldness in Jesus' name. All you got to do is get out there. God will give you the words to speak and just come out knowing that God is with you and that he has called us to all go. Somebody say go. So in recap, MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God and loving people, strategy to connect, mentor, and send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Who's just as excited for tithes and offerings? Come on. Here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. So if you have an income of $100, what is the tithe? $10. $10. You have an income of $1,000. is the tithe? $100. That's given faithfully to God. And an offering is above the tithe. That amount is between you and Jesus. All he requires is that you give cheerfully, you give generously, not begrudgingly like you're being forced. And so we're giving onto the Lord. That will reflect your relationship with God. So let's get into the lesson today from the Disciples Giving Book. You could go to givingbook.org if you fo- want to follow along. We're on section 2 of the book, lesson 8 today. Offerings can be used for charity. Again, the offering is a gift to God after our tithes. We're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians 9 9. You could look up on the screen as they pull that up. 2 Corinthians 9 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Here are the three main points. Number one, freely scattered. When we give our offerings, we should do so freely and with a joyous heart because we know we are helping others in need. That is a an honor that we get to partner with God on this earth to meet the needs of the people. Two gifts to the poor. One of the main purposes for offerings is to help the poor. Charitable groups such as homeless shelters, food pantries, foreign aid, medical clinics, and rehabs are supported by the offerings of Christians. Most of the outreach uh, and monies that you see around the world that meet the needs of people are by Christians. We meet the physical need, and we're called to meet the spiritual need. Both go together, and it's because of a generous people and churches, not even, not just America, even though America has a lot of wealth all throughout the world, us coming together to say we're going to meet the needs of the poor and the needy throughout the nations. And number three, righteousness endures forever. The temporary gifts we give the needy will be remembered by God forever. He hears their cry. So when we partner with him to meet their need, he is honored. However, the things we selfishly spend our money on will be forgotten in eternity. Therefore, be righteous and give offerings to charity that will be remembered forever. How many of you guys want your works to be remembered forever? Come on. That's why we have to store our treasures in heaven where uh, moth, I said it wrong in the first service, rust and moth will not destroy. So everything we do here that has lasting value will be remembered in eternity. So in summary, our generous offerings that we give joyfully and freely to charity are considered righteous and will be remembered by God forever. Let's apply this in three ways. Number one, Be a faithful tither. Number two, freely and joyfully give your offerings to charity to help the needy. And number three, as you give, also pray for those suffering in the world. If you guys are with me, let's confess this confession of faith over our life and finances on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet as we prepare to give the Lord our best. Again, MPI believes that the scripture teaches that a tithe is 10% of our total income given faithfully to the church. Offering is an amount above that that the Lord puts on your heart to give. And on the envelope, you'll notice different categories. You can put the specific amount that you want to give towards each of those. And at MPI, we have four ways for you to give. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry if you have any questions about doing that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Very easy, Very convenient. God will meet your needs when you put him first. Come on, who's excited about our soul-winning summer? It has officially kicked off. This is what we're giving to the building fund. You know, we give to missions, we give to building. This is what's happening in the building fund for the rest of the year. We want to encourage you guys to pray, to partner, to give. We're going to be changing Chicago and the world one soul at a time. All of those dates are our special outreach Sundays where we want to put the money towards doing outreaches, giving away free stuff, having Pastor Brandon Hall with us, taking the worship music ministry to another level. How many of you guys enjoyed worship today with our band? Come on, those are our people. They brought us into the seventh heaven today. God is good, and so we are just so excited about what God is doing, and he wants to to use each and every one of you to make this uh, summer impactful for our city. So let's get our hands dirty. Okay? Dirty for Jesus in a good way. Let's go win some souls. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4, 18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your bountiful blessings in our life, your provision, your favor, your faithfulness. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver this afternoon. pray that you would meet their needs according to your glorious riches, that as they put your kingdom first, And all these things will be given unto them as they remain faithful to you, that they will trust you. We do not trust in the dollar bill. We trust in God. And we know, Lord God, that you will uh, bless us to be a blessing so that what comes through our hands will go back through our hands. What comes to us will go through us so that we can meet the needs of your people and, and the nations around the world. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give. And we thank you so much for your support and your generosity.
3: All right, how many are ready for the word? Come on, make some noise. I love you guys. (laughs) Second service crew getting it on to the break of break of dawn. Man, Marcella, you had such a good testimony. Didn't you guys enjoy Marcella's testimony? Come on, give it up for Marcella. Seriously, my wife and I were watching it last night. We watched it like three or four times. like, man, this girl is so gifted. Like you were just like so a matter of fact and putting it on point, man. It was awesome. I enjoyed that. Hey, I want to let you guys know starting next week, uh, which is going to be a new month, we're going to have a new sermon series called Spiritual Disciplines. Everybody go disciplines. So you guys are going to get disciplined in the spirit. We're going to be talking about all the good things that God has called us to do. So I want to make sure that you guys have a head start to come on out and invite your friends. And now today, we are going to finish our sermon series on spiritual growth. So this was the one that we started after Easter. So we did this all through April and all through May. And now we're going to conclude it with Grow in Faith. And we have our notes online at mpichurch.org or the Facebook page. So open up uh, your Bibles with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 has been our series text for the whole entire uh, time we've been learning about spiritual growth. And the idea is is that you will grow up spiritually, naturally, as you intentionally serve God. And so that's what everything has kind of been hitting on, is like intentionally serving God and understanding that when you put your heart and your faith towards the Lord, you're going to grow up. And uh, Andrew, if we could turn down the monitors here now just a little bit. Thank you. Andrew's doing an awesome job today got to pray for uh, Lauren we'll just pray for her right now as wife lord we pray that you will touch Lauren that you will be with her and that you will uh, heal her body in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen okay so look at second peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 it says Simon Peter an apostle oh, excuse me Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our god and savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Everybody say goodness. Everybody say knowledge. Self-control. Perseverance. Godliness. Mutual affection. And love. Thank you. See, those are the areas we grow in our faith. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, brother, if you could just give me a little less fills right here and a little bit more monitor, that would be a lot easier for me and a little bit less for them. So less fills, more monitors. Thank you. Now, think about this. Peter the Apostle is telling us how we need to grow. And how we grow is through faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Thank you. So faith is what we need to do, or to have, rather, to grow. And faith shouldn't be something stagnant. Faith should be something moving. And faith needs to have an object. So if you're wishing in a wishing well, what are you wishing to? You know, you're wishing upon a star, but what are you wishing to in the wishing well? The universe? Sometimes you hear that right now during the uh, talks while they're going to uh, these movie stars go to these graduation ceremonies. I remember watching one with Jim Carrey, and he's like, if you do good things, the universe will do good things to you. I mean, did the universe have a mind? Does the universe talk to you? Come on. So if you're wishing in a wishing well, what are you wishing towards? Nothing. If you're wishing towards a star, that star doesn't care about you. So in Christianity, faith is not the same idea as make-believe. This is not make-believe. Faith is The direct object of our faith is Jesus. So we're putting faith in Jesus. And once again, brother, just a little bit less, or let's say drastically less in the fills, and drastically more here. Thank you. Um, And so is Jesus trustworthy? Is Jesus worthy of us trusting him? That's what faith is. So imagine, like I said to you, hey guys, I'm a professional skydiver who wants to go out this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and go skydiving with me. I'll put a little you know clip on you and then I will jump out the plane and I'll do the parachute. How many, if I was a professional, how many would believe me and go out with me? How many would trust me? How many would do skydiving? Come on, raise your hands if you would do skydiving. Amen. Now, some of you, you wouldn't do it. It wouldn't matter who it was. You would not trust them, right? Well. At that point, it would be your fear that keeps you from trusting the professional. Let's say I had skydived and did it a thousand times, and no crashes, no accidents. The only reason now why you wouldn't trust me to go skydiving is because you're afraid. I wouldn't take it personal, like you don't like me. I would just say, no, your fear is stopping you from trusting me. And it's the same thing when it comes to God. God has never failed. God has never let somebody down. God has always kept his word. And so what he's saying to us is, do you trust me? Do you want to have faith in me? I mean, just go back 100 years. There were people in Chicago going to church with problems similar to yours, and they had to learn to trust God. Guess what? Those saints now made it to heaven. They are there with Jesus face to face, and they're like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I trusted Jesus. And so now it's our turn. It's our generation's turn to decide whether or not we're going to grow in faith. And so I want you to think about this as we get into today's message here. Only faith, oh, excuse me, only by faith, oh, Lord, help me. I just just clicked a program here, messed up my whole notes, you know. And I'm just going to say this one last time. These are kind of not helping me. when We have this kind of group, just a little bit there, and I think we'll be done. I actually don't even need a mic, but I do this for the recording so you guys can check it out. Only by faith can we, thank you, brother, you're doing an awesome job. Only by faith can we have a relationship with God. Somebody say faith alone thank you only by faith can we have a relationship with God and only by unbelief lack of faith can we lose it so we come into our relationship with God through faith well how will we lose that relationship with God through unbelief God never changes we change do you get that when I have faith I draw near to God when I have unbelief I go away from him When Peter was walking on water, as long as he had his faith in Jesus, his focus was on Jesus. But the moment he took his faith, uh, his faith changed, his focus changed. Your focus and faith need to work together. So when he had his faith in Jesus, his focus was on Jesus. When he started doubting Jesus, his focus went off of Jesus onto the waves and to the wind, and that's when he sank. And so it's the same thing in your relationship with God. You draw nearer to God by faith. When you have unbelief, you'll go away from God. So from start to finish, the Christian life is all about faith. may say faith. Faith is the means that God chose to use to display our trust in him. So do you trust God? Okay, uh, do you want to do what God said today in life? So if he said, trust me, don't date this person, be single, do you trust him? If God says, listen, don't have sex before marriage, do you trust him? If God says, don't lust in your heart, do you trust him? See, commands are not suggestions. Commands are opportunities for us to show that we trust and believe in God. There's nothing that God commands us to do that is not going to be for our well-being. When God says, you know, don't lie, don't be jealous, don't steal, that's for the well-being of our soul. God knows that lying, stealing, and being jealous will uh, eat at our soul. Have you ever met a jealous person? Uh, somebody that, that's always hating on people, they're really jelly? Have you looked at their, their soul or, or seen their soul maybe through their, their attitude? You can see that they're, they're hurting on the inside. It's not good. Jealousy doesn't resolve in good things, right? Have you ever met somebody that is always complaining, never happy in life, never satisfied? Is that good? Is that good on them? Worry actually deteriorates your muscles. When you d- force yourself not to smile, you know, smiling is easier than frowning, right? So you force yourself to smile, uh, not to smile, to frown all the time. Uh, you're, you're going against nature. You're actually going to give yourself more stress, more wrinkles, all of these things that they know now, medical science. You smiling, everybody just smile right now. You know that smiling releases endorphins. One of the best things they say right now as neuroscientists, you can do a smile. Another odd thing, though, is yawning. Believe it or not, yawning helps activate your brain. It's not just about giving oxygen to the brain, but there's something unique that they have found out that when you're yawn, your brain is hitting a reset, and w- they don't know how that developed over time, but it did. And so, yeah, the Bible is true physically that stress is not good for us. Worry is not good for us. Jealousy is not good for us. Faith in God is good for us. Trusting in God is good. So, for example, let's say somebody's in the hospital. Two people are in the hospital, same disease. They've already shown that the one who has positivity, uh, an uplifting attitude, they will heal faster. Their immune system will recover faster than the one that's negative. Why? Because the one that's negative, they're using their body and their cells for other things. The one that has it healthy, their cells are free to go around and do all of this other stuff and promote healing. Look it up online if you don't think I'm telling the truth. That... um, Positive people, smiling, all of those things result in good things for your life. So do you want to obey God? The Bible says a cheerful heart is like medicine to the soul. Do you want to have the joy of the Lord? So then that means you can't live by sight. You can't live by what you see because what you see may not always be good, right? So today I believe in God to change Chicago. But if I go outside to go to the park after this, to, uh, to the lakefront, and I see people fighting, that can discourage me now and go like, man, why do I even pray? Why do I even try to believe that God's going to change the city? But if I have faith and I look at these guys fighting, I'm going to say, you know what? I don't live by what I see. I live by what God said. And God said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people unto myself. So if I keep lifting up Jesus, God will keep filling up these chairs. God will keep changing this city. Amen? And how many know we need more than just pew sitters? We need disciples that will make disciples. Amen? Today in our first service, we um, graduated four uh, people from the Bible college. And it was amazing. And they made a decision. I'm going to be in ministry. Well, when I first started in this uh, city, I didn't have anybody in the church. I met in a home Bible study. So I had to have faith not only that our church would grow, but that one day we would have ministers and all of those things. Well, did I see it by my sight? No, I saw it by faith. So everybody say, grow in faith. Thank you. So whatever is lasting, and whatever lasting good a person does in life will be a direct result of their faith in God. So you have to grow in faith in everything you do. Uh, you have to grow in faith, rather, because everything you are and will do will depend on it. So can you be a good father? biblically according to the Bible without faith no you can't no you can't because the first thing is if you don't teach your children about the world to come I don't care what you've done for them here you have failed them think about that if Bill Gates does not teach his children about God Bill Gates is a terrible father now you may say he's not an abusive father and that's great an abusive father is another kind of terrible father another kind of sin But if a a man like Bill Gates who says I have better things to do on Sunday would laugh at all of us for being here and say you talk about blessings and all this. I'm blessed more than all of you. I got $70 billion and I don't even need to be in church. I don't have to teach my children right from wrong from the Bible. I'll teach them just what I know is right from wrong, and they'll be smarter than your kids. They'll go to the best schools. See, he could mock us like that, like they do in the book of Proverbs. They, the, the rich fool could mock us, right? I'm not talking like little Wayne here. I'm not talking about some brashful idiot. I'm talking about if somebody who has a lot of money or, or uh, you, know, Tyson, uh, Degrassi, you know, Tyson, Neil deGrasse, you know, Tyson, Neil deGrasse, I believe is his name, the uh, n- neurophysicist uh, or uh, nuclear physicist, all, all of these smart atheists, who have money, would laugh at us, right? But here's the point. If what we're saying is true, whatever they've done in this world will all be burned up in the end. They will not be able to go to heaven because they've been a good father. They will perish in hell for being a terrible father. Why? Because Bill Gates had a brain, and he never told his children where his brain came from. Bill Gates was creative and invented things and never told his children where the ability for invention came from. Bill Gates had a house and a lot of money and never told his children where homes or the materials for homes come from or where the ability of having wealth comes from. So really, he was a fool and he was a terrible father. But see, some of us right now, we think we're going to be a great father without God and get into heaven, and yet we don't even have what Bill Gates had. See, See, think of it like this. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? You don't even have the whole world, yet you're willing to lose your soul. What kind of fool are you then, right? See, Bill Gates has the whole world technically, $70 He's the richest man in the world. So he's that fool, the Bible would say. But yet he's still a fool. He's an idiot. He's going to lose it all. And yet some of us here, we have a little bit of nothing. One job will pay us $10 an hour. If we work on Sundays, we'll give up God just like that. Uh, A boyfriend or girlfriend will say, hey, have sex with me. It's okay. The command doesn't matter. And we'll give up everything for our little pennies. And God is saying, what kind of fool are you then? You're a fool's fool. You're not even the kind of fool that has everything and gives it up uh, for, for hell. You actually suffer in this world, have a terrible life, four baby daddies, hello, can't pay your taxes, have to lie, you have to do all these shady things. You had a miserable life, and then you go to hell when you perish. You perish. Does anybody want to have hell on earth and then hell for eternity? I would rather be a Christian, have temporary sufferings, and then have heaven for eternity than to suffer as a sinner have nothing from the devil. Like the devil don't even like you. He's like, I treat little Wayne better than I treat you. I don't even care about you. Hello. I'll let little Wayne prosper, make 20 mil while you struggle working a part-time job and you don't have no friends. this. And the devil says, I don't even care about you. The Bible says that kind of person suffered both ways. I would rather in this world be the devil's worst enemy, suffer like Job, have boils all over me, and then know I go to heaven for eternity than to be Bill Gates and still go to hell. Let alone having nothing in this world, and still go to hell. Does everybody get what I'm trying to say here? You have to have faith to believe that what God has said is true, and that changes how you parent. That changes how you live. So the best thing I do as a parent is what? I teach my children to have faith in God because I understand I can provide for them, I can give them money, I can give them a house, but if I don't give them God in eternity, they'll be a fool. They'll be foolish. And so what we want to do is review the things that we've learned in the previous uh, messages. And for some of our, our new friends here have just joined us in the last couple of weeks, look at how we look at the, uh, the good way to look at the spiritual life. The spiritual life is not doing things to become something. Christianity is not a self-help religion. Christianity isn't what Oprah Winfrey says. Oprah Winfrey wants you to think that Christianity is just one of many religions and that if you just do a little secret things that she talks about, she calls it the secret, and you have positive thinking, then you're going to change your life for, for better. But that's not Christianity. Christianity actually tells you to deny yourself. So it's not self-help. The first thing Jesus said was, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So Christianity is not a self-effort religion. It is not about you doing this, doing this, doing that, and then one day you get to become a Christian, and then you face God on Judgment Day, and he'll get to decide how you did. I have a book on Islam in the back, and you can read it. That's what Islam is. That's, as a matter of fact, what all other religions are like, Hinduism. Sometimes people think of karma like it's cool, like, oh, man, good karma, dude. They have no idea what karma is. Let me tell you what the karmic cycle is. The karmic cycle is whatever you do in this world coming back into the next world until you get it right. So it's not just a few lifetimes. It's an endless amount of lifetimes, and it's coming back as hideous creatures, you know, and all of these different things until you get it right. And then in the karmic cycle, every bad thing that's happening to you now is the result of what you did in another world. That's why uh, another lifetime, that's why it's not good to be merciful to you now if you're suffering. So in India, the reason why there's so much poverty and they don't care for the poor and people like Mother Teresa had to go and do that is because for them, they have a saying that says the tears of strangers are mostly water, have no compassion on them. And they made a group of people called the untouchables where the Brahmin priestly class, they have ca- classism, casteism rather, and classism, where the priestly class will not touch the poor class. They won't even touch them. They're called untouchables. And the reason is God has cursed them. Your child was born crippled. It was because your child was a sinner in the previous life. Now I've been, not just the cute yoga temples your friends have been to, but I've been to real old temples and had prashanam with them, holy meals. And I've been and studied with them. And I've asked them the question, Point Blake. And one time we were witnessing at Wright College, and there were some Hindus there. And I asked them point blank, "Is the child born the child that's born crippled? Is it their fault from their previous life?" And they'll say, "Yes, it's karma." You see, karma's not cute. And the same thing is within with Islam. See, a lot of times we think of uh, spirituality in the terms of Islam, and we don't even know that's a false religion, right? You think of an angel being on one side, a, a demon being on the other. You've seen those cartoons, right? That's not Christianity. That's Islam. Islam believes that you have an angel that tries to guide you towards good and an evil spirit that tries to guide you towards evil. Whenever you give in to whatever leading you give in to the angel, follow the good thing or do the bad thing, they write down what you've done. On the day of judgment, scales will be laid before you. The angel will take all the goods you did and lay it on one side of the scale, and then the demon, the jinn, the evil spirit will take all the bads you did and lay it on that side of the scale, and then there you will be judged on your works. And so if your good has outweighed your bad, then you get in. This is why they fast during Ramadan, which comes up in the fall. And this is why they pray five times a day towards Mecca, because what they're doing is earning those good works. What they're doing is saying, if I do this, I know I put more good works up there. So for many of them, transformation is not what they're looking for. They know they're going to do bad. They know they're going to continue to live in sin, but they want to do more good than they do bad so that it can be good for them on Judgment Day. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds like a lot of Catholics, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot of Baptists. Sounds like a lot of Christians too, doesn't it? This idea that if my good outweighs my bad, I get to get in. But that's not Christianity. Christianity starts at the finish line. Christianity starts at you becoming a Christian. It starts at you being saved, not trying to be saved. It starts at you being born again. And so if you don't have the work of Christ done in you by faith, you can't be saved. All sinners will go to hell. Only those who have been born again can go to heaven. So, you may say, I was born this way, I was born that way. That's okay. I was born a certain way, too, but I had to get born again God's way. We were all born sinners, but can be born again in the Holy Spirit. And so, the. Christian life starts off with admitting I'm a sinner. Think of the word repentance. You're repenting for not doing it sooner. You're repenting for not making the right decision. You're repenting for your great, 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 great ancestor, Adam and Eve, doing it wrong. You're repenting for the fallen race of humanity and for what you have done. The first thing you do in Christianity is say, I give up trying to do this on my own. I can't. I deny myself. Now, that's good news to people who are honest with themselves because we all know we can't save ourselves. We all know we're not good enough, and truly, if you wanted to take the Muslim example or the karmic example, none of us can atone for one sin. If you understood what sin was in the economy of God or in the culture of God, you would understand an endless amount of lifetimes could never make up for one sin, and how many sins have you committed. So in this hypothetical situation, if you put it on the scales, your one sin would weigh more than any good work you could ever do. Because God is holy and perfection, perfection is the standard, nothing less. One sin has just qualified you for that. You can never be perfect again. Do you understand that? And the same thing is in a karmic cycle. You can never be perfect again. You have already become imperfect. And so what we look at in Christianity is that he answers the question of the human race by saying, I'll do what you can't. That's what the cross is. Cross, the j- cross of Jesus Christ is the substitution for you and I's failures. It's Jesus Christ dying for our sins. So what pays the price for sins? Listen, God dying. The standard giver dies for the standards you and I have broken. The son of God takes on flesh to live a perfect human life and then become a sacrifice for all the sins of fallen humanity. There is no other way of salvation. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And then you want to talk about a certain kind of fool. Let's now talk about a certain kind of religious person. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus was a religious leader that had been in, in um the Jewish ruling synagogue, he had memorized the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, he had lived pretty precisely by 613 laws of the Jewish faith, and Jesus looks at him very clearly and says, you're not getting in, Bubba, unless you get born again, now let me, let me ask you this, if Nicodemus is not getting in on his good works, what do you think is going to happen to you? You ain't even on the, the point of Nicodemus. This would be like the equivalent of Jesus looking at the, uh, at the pope going, if you're not born again, you're not getting in. Are you as good as the pope? Are you as religious as him? Right? None of us are in that sense. And God looks at us and says to us the same thing. You have to be born again. So I love this. There is no big eyes and little U's. There is no other way around this. Only those who are born again can come into the kingdom of heaven. So what does the kingdom of God look like? It starts with the believer being made new in their spirit, purified in their soul, and that's given by the Holy Spirit at new birth. Can you buy a new spirit? Because that's what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden, right? Jesus said to them, the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. When they ate of that tree, did they fall over dead instantly? No, but they realized they were naked. So what happened? Their spirit died on the inside of them. The light went off. They were separated from God. God comes into the garden. They want to run and hide. Now they have a um, an authority issue with God, rebellion. And isn't that same true today? People got the lights off. All they see is flesh. Don't have the, the living God on the inside of them. And then when God comes around or godly people come around, they run away from them, right? Don't want anything to do with them. Is humanity trying to come closer to God as a whole right now or is humanity trying to hide from God? Trying to hide from God, right? So it's those of us who come back to God and say, forgive me, I deny myself. Now look at the next thing. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. So he said to you, deny you. If anyone wants to follow after me, this is what Jesus said. Somebody say that's what he said. I just want you guys to see it because I don't want you to think I'm making up stuff in the Bible. But Jesus said if you don't uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, you cannot be my follower. How many want to be a follower of Jesus? Deny yourself. Follow Jesus. Some of you think I got the Bible memorized, but I don't. I still need to Google. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Look at this scripture. Then Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? I want to see if you guys can see this. Make it a little easier. They must do what? Deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. Have you denied yourself or are you still trying to save yourself? Have you taken up your cross, or are you still willing to live in your flesh? See, the idea that the spiritual person has been changed goes hand in hand with my old man has died. The new and the old can't be together. You either have a new car or you don't. It's not new and old at the same time. Do you guys understand that? And so you either have a new man or you live by the old man, your flesh. And I've showed you that before, and I know that scripture, Colossians 3. Everybody go there quickly. Colossians chapter 3 talks about what God has done. Look at this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What are you supposed to do with your earthly nature? Put it to, Jesus said, take up your cross so you could put to death your earthly nature. Does everybody get that? So a lot of people say they know Jesus, but they're not willing to deny themselves, and they're not willing to take up their cross. How can they ever follow Jesus? Can you ever follow Jesus in the flesh? Can you ever follow Jesus in your old nature? No, you can't. And then keep going in that Colossians 3 passage. Look at what it says right here. It says here that we are to count it as dead. Look at this. Put on the new self renewed in the image of its creator. But look at verse 9. Don't lie to each other since you have what? Taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self. Now, I'm not talking about dressing crazy. I'm talking about biblical dressing, which is like a robe, you know. Can you have on an old robe and a new robe at the same time? I mean, maybe if you cut it in half and sew the new with the old, but that's dumb, the Bible says. You don't do that with wineskin. The Bible says you put new wine and new wineskin. You don't put it in old wineskin. So the idea is you're not mixing. This is what God told us to do. You take off the old, you put on the new. How many you happy about that. I don't want to carry around the old self. I want to be the new man. I don't want to live like the way I used to. I want to live for Jesus. Now go back to this, uh, this chart here and see how simply it looks. You start off being born again. So today, if you're not born again, you ask Jesus to make you a new person. That's why I did November 5th. It's like, Jesus, forgive me. I haven't done this right. I was born a sinner. I've lived like a sinner. Make me new. Then the second thing is spiritual growth. Everybody say spiritual growth. Thank you. That's when you know, show, and grow. The Spirit grows the believer's faith, and those things that we just learned, goodness, knowledge, self-control, and so forth, by their knowledge – By their knowing and their showing. And so think about this chart as I've showed you before. We start off by knowing things about God, then we show them in obedience, and then we grow. How many have enjoyed that? Does everybody get this knowing, showing, and growing and how it works in this chart right here? Knowing, showing, and growing, and then this is what it looks like in the breakdown. So what do you need to know to be an effective Christian? Number one, that Jesus is God and Savior. Can anybody be a Christian without knowing Jesus is God and Savior? It's impossible. If you don't believe Jesus is God and Savior, you cannot be a Christian. Now, if you are a Christian, can you be an effective Christian without believing that you share in the divine nature? No, because the passage that we have learned teaches us that we share, participate, as I like to say, dance with the divine. So if I disbelieve this portion of scripture here, I will not be an effective Christian. Look at it again so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If I deny that fact, if I keep going around saying, I'm just messed up, ain't nobody perfect, I can't keep God's law, doesn't God know I'm just a man, I'm going to always sin? Oh man, if he didn't want me to look at girls, why would he make them so pretty? right? If I keep making all the excuses, am I ever going to be able to live for Jesus? No, so what I have to know Not only do I have to believe and know that Jesus is God and Savior, I've got to believe and know that I share in that divine nature now. And then the third thing I have to know is that I can do all that God commanded me to do. It's not like the Ten Commandments is Jesus' tricks for us. You know, like little tricks like uh, imagine me as a father taking my son to a motorcycle, uh, motocross competition. You know, my son's four years old, and they have jumps 40 feet up in the air. And I put my son, who's never even been on a motorcycle, on top of the thing. And I go, here's the deal. You have to jump this 40-foot jump 100 feet to the other side. And if you don't do that, you're not my son. You're going to burn in hell, and I'm leaving you here. Hello? But that's how people think God's commands are. We think that God's commands are impossible, that we can't keep them. And that he's saying, if you don't do the impossible, keep my commands, you're going to burn in hell. And so we think when we go to Judgment Day that somehow God is going to feel sorry for us, and he's going to go, oh, you know what? You're right. I know you couldn't do all that stuff. I was just seeing if you could do most of it. I was just seeing if you could do part of it. You were pretty good. I'm going to let you in. Dab right here. Yeah, I made them. I know I made those girls pretty good looking. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, there's not going to be no discussion with God. Like he's like the corner store, um, you know, uh, uh, like the corner drug hustler or whatever, like making deals with him. There's no deals with God. I want you to understand that. It's funny when we think about it, but it's silly. Uh, It's sad when we actually know that people believe that. Look at what the Bible says right here about God's commands. How many love God's commands? Anybody love the law of the Lord? How many believe it's a light unto your path, as the Bible says? The Bible says this, that if anyone wants long days and a long life, keep the word of the Lord. The Bible says that you are to rejoice in God's law more than rich people do in money. So I know some rich people that love their money. I better keep up with them loving the law of God. Amen? Well, I didn't get a lot of love on that. I mean, what would you rather have, a good heart, good character, or a lot of money? You see, now you know why some people are going to hell. They would rather have a lot of money than a good character. See, to me, Donald Trump is a self-made mess, not a self-made success. It's because he's had over three you know, marriages and all of these things. That doesn't impress me. You haven't done anything to impress me. Bill Gates is a self-made mess to me. He doesn't even know where his brain came from. He's an idiot. He's a fool. Now, Steve Jobs was a, another kind of fool. Now, they may make all these things that we can use, and they do well, but it's no different than a little child playing with sand in a sandbox. It's all going to go away when the water comes. Hello, when the rain comes down, it's all going to go right back to where it was. And guess what? The Bible says the righteous inherit the earth, so I'll take that mansion, Bill Gates. Thank you very much. Because that's going to be mine in Jesus' name. The Bible says it, that the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Have you ever thought about the millennial kingdom? Do you believe it's coming? Jesus said, I'll be back. Amen. He did. He, he said it long before Donald Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. He did. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about how we're supposed to look at the commands of God. Because a lot of times people go, oh, I don't like these things, man. I mean, I really wish I could steal. It's so cool. Or I really wish I could be jealous. Listen to this. In fact, this is love for God to go to church on Sundays and just pretend to be a Christian. Is that what it says? In fact, this is love for God to sing Christian songs with K-Love on the radio all the time. Is that what it says? This is love for God to listen to TV preachers and buy their books at Walmart. No, it says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. It's funny, sometimes i listen to TV preachers. I love them. I could be a TV preacher. I know I'm gifted like that. But listen, I'll listen to them preach. And I'm like, man, you guys are sure good. You guys are preaching. That's awesome. But I'm like, but what are you talking about? I'm like, what in the world are you talking? You haven't talked nothing about God's commands. You haven't talked anything about the doctrine of the scripture. All of you have told me about 100 times this. I'm going to make it. you going to make it. God's got a plan for you. Hold on. And I'm just like, well, okay, I got it. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to make it. Thank you very much. It's not like when I'm going over a bridge. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it over this bridge, you know. And then maybe that's one kind of culture. I get that. But then you get the other kind of culture. Oh, God loves you. He loves you. And he's got such a wonderful plan. Okay, I get he loves me. Is there anything else I need to know out the Bible other than he loves me? Is there anything else I need to know other than that he has a plan for me, right? Well, here's what it says. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. See, some of you disbelieve God and his commands. Some of you don't believe that God is giving you good things. See, my daughter, when I tell her to clean her room, she may think that's a burden. When I ask Lucas not to beat up his sister, little sister Zoe, he may think that's a burden. But that's because his heart's not right. But if he begins to love his sister as himself, he'll understand that's a good command. And if my daughter will understand cleaning your room allows you to have more things in your room, more nicer things, that you don't lose them and step on them when you got your sheets over here and your little tiara over here and you didn't see it and you step on it, hello, you can keep things nicer when you keep it neat. Hello, right? I mean, let's that's, that's talk real. When you buy a new pair of shoes, you keep them nice, right? Because you want them to last long. You don't just go running through the mud with them because then you're going to have to dirty them. You have to clean them, get out your toothbrush. Has anybody ever cleaned their shoes with toothbrushes before? Hello, but that starts to wear it down. So the less dirty it gets, the less clean it has to be done. And so God is trying to tell us that the heart is like that. The heart is sensitive. The more you keep messing with breaking God's commands, yes, he'll forgive you. But your heart can become hard. Your heart can become hard because you've, you've looked at commands as a negative thing instead of a blessing. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. So these are the things we need to know, that Jesus is our God and Savior. If you believe it, say amen. Do you believe that Jesus is your God and Savior? Do you believe you share in the divine nature? Do you believe you can do all that God commanded you to do? Amen. Let's do it. Now we're going to show it. See, it's one thing for me to say I know all the things my wife likes, but it's another thing to now do what my wife likes. So if I keep saying I know what you like but never do it, then I'm a hypocrite, aren't I? I'm not showing what I know. You need to show what you know. Now, there are some people in Christianity that don't want to show what they know. And, and the Bible says they're detestable, unfit for any good work. Does anybody want to be detestable, unfit for any good work? No, you want to be a, a Christian that lives for God. Amen. Look at this. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Have you ever met anybody like that? They claim to know God, but don't live for him? They're also worthless in the eyes of God. Now you may say, well, doesn't God love them? Absolutely, but they're worthless to do anything good. Here's a translation. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable, disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. So does God look at hypocrites like, oh, man, you all pretty good. At least you're trying. No, he goes, you're worthless. I can't count on you for nothing. I'd rather you be hot or cold because you're neither. I'm going to spit you out my mouth. Haven't ever seen that scripture in the Bible? may not be one of your favorites or one that you're going to put on your pillow or a, or a bumper sticker or a magnet on your uh, you know your refrigerator but it's in the bible red letters Jesus talking so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth now listen to how god is dealing with these people and what do they say back did they go god you're right I've been a hypocrite. I've been saying I know you, but I don't live for you. You got me, God. I, you know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. No. What do they say back? He says what they say back. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. I hear that all the time when I go street witnessing. Hey, man, you got a second to talk about Jesus? No, I'm good. I'm good. Like as if I was offering them a vaccination for like influenza. Like, no, I'm good. I don't need that. Or like as if like they had just eaten a full meal and I was that waiter interrupting their conversation to ask them if they wanted dessert. You want some dessert? No, no, we're good. We're good. Let me just get back to this. No, we're good. Hold on, dude. You're not good. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. But here's the problem. You think you're rich. You think you're blessed, Bill Gates. You're good. I'm good. Look, I got money. I've got my family. I've taken care of things. I've built things. I'm rich. You may not even have as much as him. Remember, we we, we call that double the fool. I'm good. I got a job. I got a paycheck. I make 15 an hour going to school, taking care of my kids. Life's getting better for me. I don't need a thing. I don't need that. Now, what does God say back to him? You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful. Now, when he says you're pitiful, you are pitiful. That's God talking to you. It's one thing, you know, we look at each other's babies. They come out the womb looking at like aliens, and we're like, oh, they're so cute. Look at that thing. What is it, girl or a boy, you know? But listen to me. The mother, the mother will always look at that baby, no matter how it comes out, gooey stuff all over, crooked eye. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh, look at my baby. I love my baby. But listen, your creator, when your creator says, you pitiful, you pitiful. The one who made you, who knows you from the inside out, says you are wretched, there ain't nobody to come back and go, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. They're actually pretty cute. No, when God has spoken about you, it's over. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I hope you're not that way today. If you are, you need to repent. Amen? So the world we live in says back to God, I'm good. And God goes, no, no, (laughs) angels, look at this. They think they're good. Honestly, I want you to get this in your mind right now. Imagine a man falling from the sky. He's falling from the sky. He's in maybe a planet where the sky to the ground can, can be hundreds of miles. So it takes a long time to fall down, not just a couple of miles like ours. Now imagine somebody coming next to them in a parachute going, the ground is coming. You're falling right now. But imagine that was how they were created or made or maybe they were, uh, let's get sci- like sci-fi here. Maybe their memory was erased, and now they wake up, and they're actually in the middle of this air, and they're falling, and they don't even realize where they are, right? So let's just say it like that. And somebody comes next to them with the parachute, and is like next to them going, you are falling right now. That's where you are. You're, you're falling. The ground is coming. You're about ready to die. Now imagine this person just arguing with them. Imagine if they had some nice piece of jewelry. Well, I got this. Look what I got. This, And the person literally is looking at it going, you are pitiful. You are are wretched. You're naked out here. You have nothing. The ground is coming. That's how God is with us. That's what the preachers are. We're coming to the people going, you're falling. You have fallen from the grace of God. You are under the condemnation of God. The ground is coming. Hell and death are waiting to swallow you up. Repent. Grab the parachute. And people are like, I'm good. I'm good. You're falling. You were born falling. It's normal to you because you were born a sinner. Your friends are falling, so you're all falling together. It's normal in your culture because they're damned and going to hell too. You don't understand, I don't understand until the word of God comes. Until we understand that there's a salvation message that we don't have to fall anymore. And that God created us for greater things. And you surely will bust hell wide open without Jesus. And I say that not in mockery, but in trueness. So let us all live for Jesus here. Amen. Let's live for Jesus, so let's show it. So I say to my wife, hey, I know what you like. You like me to hold your hand. I'm going to show it now in public. I'm going to hold her hand. Children, you love me? Bethany, clean your room. Show me. Now, what happens when you show somebody you love them or you show somebody you care about them? You grow in your character as a person. Marriages grow closer. Parent and, and child relationships grow closer. On your job, you develop more of a good reputation, right? And so what are the things we should do to show God that we love him? Well, these are about 12 things I got out the Bible. You can find your own list. But if I was to summarize all the New Testament commands, they basically come down to this. Read your Bible. Keep your family in order. Put scripture on your mind. Memorize it. Soul journal. Write out what God's doing in your life. Pray and worship him. Be discipled and live like Christ. Serve God wherever you are, Christian service. Tell others about him. Spiritually meditate on the things of God. Don't let money rule over you. Put your finances in order. Have Christian friends and fellowship and be involved in your local church if i was to summarize the kingdom of god on this earth that's what it looks like so that's how you show that you know god so you're not disobedient you're not worthless you're not detestable you are fit for good works you are god's masterpiece amen so i showed you titus about being worthless and unfit for good works but how many want to be god's masterpiece amen how many want to be the thing that pleases god well you go to ephesians and this is what it says For we are God's handiwork, or in another translation, masterpiece. Look at it here, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's what? Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Can you do these good things that God asks you to do? Can you read your Bible? Some of you may say, well, if I don't know how to read. Well, the Bible was written in a non-reading culture. A lot of the people didn't know it like that, but they learned it orally. Uh, Audio Bibles are so popular right now. Keep your family in order. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Memorize the scripture. You know, I did so many drugs before I became a Christian. I, not, I never thought I could do this. But the Bible says, whoever um, if a young man wants to keep his way pure, um, I have hidden your word within my heart, O Lord, so I may keep my ways pure. Something like that. Psalms 119. And uh, how does it go? There you go. I've hidden your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. And if a young man wants to keep his ways pure, let him live according to the word of the Lord. It's in that same passage there. Hide God's word in your heart. Worship and pray. All of those wonderful things. And then we grow. What do we grow in? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, Godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. All these things can grow. Have you loved to the fullest extent of God's love? No. But you can. Day by day, grow. You can grow, 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 grow from glory to glory in your love. Do you have the knowledge of God? You don't have it all, but you can grow in that knowledge. Do you have all the peace that you would want right now? You can grow in peace. You can grow in patience. You can grow in gentleness. Now, here's the thing. What people want to do is they just want this stuff without doing this, and they just want to say, well, I know all about the Bible, and I want this. Well, no, there's a middle part that we have to do. We have to actually know and show to grow. And that's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is what makes a Christian a Christian. That's how we get born again. And then it's by the Holy Spirit we begin to know the things of God. How do I know Jesus is God and Savior? Have I ever shook his hand? Have I ever gone out to lunch with him? Has he ever showed me the nail piercings? I know it because the Holy Spirit speaks to my conscience and my heart. I know it because the day that I came to Jesus, November fifth, 1995, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, knocking on the door of my heart. Now I show obedience to God. Why? Because the Spirit is leading me. Everybody remember um, uh, Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. Now listen to this part. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the Holy Spirit shows me how to read my Bible. For some of you, it may be before you go to work, after, you know, whatever. And then you grow naturally. The Spirit gives you life. Now, renewal and transformation. What is that? That's when your mind is changed and your behavior is changed. Think of renewal as the mind being changed. And think of transformation as your behaviors being changed. How many want to get rid of stinking thinking? To try to do it on your own, which they call cognitive retraining or cognitive therapy, what they teach counselors to do, is an endless cycle of trying to take your thoughts and change your thoughts. I'm not doing that. What I do as a born-again Christian is I can take the thoughts of Christ, the mind of Christ, and change my thoughts with them. Do you understand that? I don't just take my own thoughts and change my thoughts. That's self-improvement. You'll let yourself down every time. So someone says, well, I tried to quit smoking. I prayed, and it didn't work. No, Jesus will have you quit smoking every time. Jesus always works. The reason why it didn't work for you is because you tried to quit with your thoughts, You tried to change your thoughts. So you just said, well, I read the Bible. I shouldn't do this anymore. I don't want to do it. Tell myself I don't want to do it. And you saw how far that went to you, that got you. Now, some people do have good willpower. It can get them so far. But everybody's willpower will fall short of the mind of Christ. Your mind and your will and your ability will never match up to God's mind, his will and his ability. That's why you need the mind of Christ. And how do you know the mind of Christ? Does anybody here know how you get to know the mind of Christ? anybody I just had a picture of it up there Somebody shout it out if you know it Yeah do you believe it then say it like you mean it what is it the Holy, the Holy Spirit The Bible says that no one knows the mind of Christ except for the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is our connection to the God to God the Father and Jesus our Lord The Holy Spirit is what brings their presence, their understanding to us. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, I'll get the whole passage here in front of you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. You can see that it's the Spirit of God that teaches you. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject, subject to mere human judgments. So if you judge me, I don't give a rip. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. You show me in the word, I'm going to believe you. But I don't care what merely man says about me, right? So I wear sandals and shorts. Why? Because I'm hot. That's why. And I don't like suits, right? Somebody says, well, you should wear a suit. Well, why don't you wear one and I'll wear this, okay? Because I'm going to wear what I feel comfortable. But pastors shouldn't wear that. Okay. Well, show me that now in the Bible. Don't make a merely human judgment. Make a judgment from the Bible. Amen. And then here you go. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about the things of God, and it's like no one's home, they're not getting it? It's because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're not born again. The reason why people will come to a church like this, be bored when I'm preaching but get into Wheel of Fortune or some stupid TV show or a baseball show, the reason is is because they're worldly. They don't have the Spirit of God. Anyone who has the Spirit of God recognizes when the Spirit is talking to them through the Word. That's why it doesn't matter when I'm in churches. The pastor could be boring or whatever. But if I'm hearing the Word of God and the Spirit is present, I'm listening to that person because my spirit has been awoken. I've been like, oh, man, that's on. You get what I'm saying? And, and you can discern things that way. But the reason why people get bored in church like this is because they don't have the Spirit of God. They know no more the Holy Spirit than they know the man on the moon. They're just religious. They have a um, uh, an, uh, uh, an outside appearance that they're spiritual. They've been to church, they know how to say amen, they do whatever, but they know not the spirit of God. They can't discern the things of God. And that's why when I say as a pastor to other pastors, uh, you know, sometimes people listen to these men and they believe what they're saying. I'm telling you, you're being bamboozled, you know. Pastors can lie to you and give you false emotion and get you to believe something based on their emotion. Do you understand? I've heard pastors in emotions, you know, just tear apart this Bible and say nothing really that's true here, but because they were so emotional and made people feel good, they believed it. Well, the problem is you don't understand why people blow themselves up in planes. They're emotional, too, about Allah. Just because you're sincere doesn't mean you can't be sincerely wrong. And so don't be deceived by your feelings. Follow the Spirit of God. Follow what the Spirit says. Follow what God is saying. And that's why you need the mind of Christ. So the Bible says simply, who has known the mind of the Lord is so to instruct him, So who knows that mind to tell God what to do? No one. But we get the mind of Christ, so he tells us what to do. And that's discerned by the Holy Spirit. And you can just go a little further up. and says, what we have received of you is not from the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is why we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So you're trying to talk to somebody, and they don't understand spiritual realities. It's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The only thing you need to talk to a sinner about is their sin and repenting. That's the only command for a sinner. There is no other command for them. The command is repent and be born again so you can enter the kingdom of God, stop being wretched, miserable, blind, and poor, and naked, and now you can see the things of God. You'll understand the things of God. That's why when I first started witnessing, I would argue with people about, you know, whatever dumb thing they wanted to talk about, like where did Cain uh, get uh, his wife, you know what I'm saying, and and all of these questions. They they can't they can't understand the basics that Jesus died on the cross and that they're a sinner, busting hell wide open. If if they can't understand, they're going to hell. Why am I going to talk to them about things in the Bible that are of non uh, importance to their soul? Do you understand that? Well, explain to me, the Trinity, how one plus one plus one equals three, but you guys are saying it's one God. That's dumb. I don't believe it. Well, no, here's the thing is that you're dumb because you have a cantaloupe-sized brain and you want to try to point your finger at God and say you can't be this way. There are creatures in heaven that are beyond even your and I description, and they're still creations of God. How much more so is God more complex than us, right? But this is the naughtiness of man. We're so sassy. We've watched a couple discovery movies, you know, or channels, TV shows. We've gone to a couple college classes. We've had some scientists tell us something in a microscope or a telescope. And now we believe that we can explain the things of the world. That's why Paul was saying the same kind of thing to those people. They, they, they had philosophers that would be so amazing and eloquent and just blow your mind. Do I exist? Do I really exist? How do we know we're not the imagination of a God in a dream somewhere? And when he wakes up, we'll stop existing, you know, like the Matrix. They would have all these deep thoughts. And then Paul would say, I come up to talk to them about Jesus and literally in Athens at Mars Hill. They get mad at him and want to kill him, right? They want to get rid of him. And he's like, the reason why you don't understand me is because I'm talking about spiritual things. The reason, like say young people, the reason why you understand little Wayne and we'll go to his concert and you'll not come to church is because you're going to the same place little Wayne is going. You have the same spirit of little Wayne. You have the spirit of this world. And that's why when little Wayne talks, you understand him. But when I talk, you don't understand me, right, until you get born again. Does everybody get that? Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said the reason, by the way, you don't crucify somebody you love. Why do you think they crucified Jesus? Do you think they really understood Jesus was the Son of God? No. Do you think they really understood that Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords? No. They crucified Jesus because they literally did not believe Jesus. And this whole message is about faith. And it's like, do you believe Jesus, right? Look at your neighbor and say, this is just the introduction. You want to, I haven't even got to the message yet, but I'll get there. It's going to be a little bit shorter. You want to kill me. Let me just show you what Jesus said here. You, oh, where was that? You want to kill me because I have convicted you. There we go. Let's go here. Google search is not helping me right now. None of my Bible guys are here. Somebody help me out. Jesus, let's put Jesus here. Kill me, convict me. There we go. I am so off on this. The world. There we go. Thank you, Nancy, for saving me from more awkward moments up here. Look at John 840 right here. Look at John 840. See, the second service always gets the hidden nuggies. Here we go. Let's see here. No, let me just find it. Let me see. I'm telling you. At, no, I'll find it right here. Give me a second. No, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Thank you. There we go. John fifteen nineteen. Look at it here. Look at it. Let me go to the passage so you guys can see it. John fifteen nineteen. Look at it. Here, Look what Jesus says. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. He's talking to the disciples and why they're getting persecuted and why he's about ready to die. He's like, guys, this is why they're wanting to kill me, and then they're going to kill you as well. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. That's why everybody loves Oprah Winfrey. I mean, why, why are you going to hate on Oprah Winfrey? The reason why I'm going to tell you the truth about Oprah Winfrey is because she's trying to tell you a lie about spiritual things. Why, why am I going to do that? Because I want you to know the truth, right? Right? She's not telling you the truth, yet she wants to have a Sunday class where people will be on there, millions will listen. Well, if I belong to the world, if I belong to the world, the world would listen to me too. Do you understand how that works? Let me, do you think I'm dumb? Do you not think I don't understand how to make more people come another way? I'm not going to do it that way because I don't want to belong to the world, right? Right? I purposely preach to you for an hour when I could preach to you for 20 minutes. I could have the band do all this. We do this on purpose. It's not that, oh, man, you know, Pastor Church is going to be small because he don't know what he's doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. Now, do I want it to be big as well? Absolutely. But I'm not going to do it by the world standards. Now, there are some great churches that started before me, and they're being prospered and blessed. So I'm not saying every big church is bad. I'm just saying I won't compromise what I'm going to say to build a good church. Amen. I started off in a home Bible study. It's only gotten bigger from there. Amen? Amen. (laughs) If you belong to the world, it would love you as as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So why does the world hate us when we talk this way? Because we're not talking what they want us to say. What they want us to say is that all religions are the same. What they want us to say is that you have good on the inside of you and that you just need to get rid of your demons, get rid of the bad. And what they want you to say to them is that Jesus accepts them the way they are and has no plans on changing them. That's what they want you to believe. All roads lead to heaven. Everybody's got some good on the inside of them. And Jesus is really only sending a few people to help people like Hitler and all this other stuff. That's not true. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So they're killing him because they don't believe he came from the Father, and they'll kill me because they don't believe I'm saying what he said. No, 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 you don't know what Jesus is saying. Jesus really said this. You stop that, right? That's what they're going to say. Stop saying Jesus said that stuff. That's mean. That's bigoted. Stop saying Jesus said it's male and female. Stop saying that. We get to decide now our own sex and gender. Stop saying that Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs to children, and if you cause one of these to stumble, it's better for you to take a millstone a rock and drown yourself in the ocean. We can do abortion. They're not children. Don't say he said that. We hate you Christians now. You bother us, right? Now listen, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. That's why I'm talking to you. You have no excuse for your sin now. You understand what I've said to you, don't you, right? Everybody gets it. Oh, there's commands. I have to follow them. Jesus said, I can't get in by my own good works. I have to be born again. Boy, that's pretty simple. The thing about that, literally, I know that's why we have a lot of people in this church, is that most of you come here because you're like, I want that hour teaching. I want to know the commands of God so I know that I can please him and be blessed and truly live the kind of life that he wants me to live. Amen? So... When we look at this chart right here, the idea is so simple, guys. I don't want you to get lost in it and feel like, oh, i got to do all this crazy stuff. No, it's so simple. Let the Spirit make you new. Let the Spirit show you the knowledge of God, teach it to you, and then help you to demonstrate it in your life. God will empower you. You know the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? That's not trying to learn how to pay your bills because you went in debt with your credit card and now you need some help. That's fine if you want to say it there, but that's really to help you live the Christian life. It's, it's when you're looking at this whole list right here going, I don't know if I can do all of that. Yeah, you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of temptation in this world. Oh, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. See, that's where those scriptures come into play, right? That's where it comes into play. So the new man is the spirit, God, making us new. Spiritual growth is the spirit empowering us, leading us in paths of righteousness, giving us the mind of Christ. And renewal and transformation is now thinking and acting like. And so what does uh, the whole thing look like? What does it look like? Well, new birth is salvation and sanctification made like Christ. I start made like Christ. I'm not God's pie that he's trying to work on or his clay, whatever. I- I'm finished the day of salvation. But What continues? after salvation. It's not my salvation. What continues is my growth. My son was born on the day he was born. That was his birthday. He doesn't get born again and again and again and again. No, he grows from the time he was born. And when you were born again, that was the start of your new life, new life, yours, new creation in Christ. And now you grow. So you're to be made like Christ. You're to spiritually grow like Christ. And you're to think and act like Christ. And that's reflecting the image of Christ. Does everybody see that? That's why we were created, to reflect that image. Now, that was the review. How many are ready for the message? Can I hear an amen? Okay, now, in closing, I won't keep you here too long, but I want you to understand this. This takes faith because it's opposite of what you think. So the importance of faith is faith is the gift of God, which is given to all who willingly receive the word of God. Mankind cannot choose faith unless God's grace first frees our will, which was bound to the flesh because of Adam's curse. Yet since the fall, God has graciously freed man's will through the light of Christ, partially in nature, through our conscience, and completely through the preaching of the word of God. How many of you, before you heard the word of God, already in your conscience, you were convicted of things? See, God is speaking through the conscience. There are Muslims that see visions of Jesus. There are people from all these different religions that see visions of Jesus before they've even heard the word of God. There's a book called Eternity in Their Hearts where it talks about missionaries literally showing up to uh, Chinese villages and to African jungles. They gathered all these stories for missionaries, um, even down in South Central America, where they found these comparative things that match Christianity. And they asked them, how did you know these things? How did you know that sacrifice would atone for sin? Because they would do that. How did you know? that the tabernacle needed to have angels in it as an Ark of the Covenant, because I believe it was either in a Chinese village or in a, um, or in a South American village. They had an Ark of the Covenant-looking thing. How did you know? And they would say, our, our ancestors had visions. And even some of them reported that they had visions, that people would come carrying a book to tell them about the Son of God or the Son of the God they worshiped. You can read it in eternity in their hearts by experienced missionaries. And so what does this mean? And you can see it in the book of Acts, that the conscience is directed towards God. It hungers towards God. He said that he set them apart in various places and times that they may reach out to God and possibly find him, right? But it's not then until the word of God comes that they can know the fullness of him. And that's why prophets were sent out and scriptures were gathered together. And then when the revelations were given to the disciples, the Bible was compiled. And we'll talk about that in our spiritual disciplines uh, about the Bible and understanding where it came from. That's next week, actually. You'll know the history of the Bible and some of the defenses of what we should do to believe the Bible when people say it can't be trusted, etc. But uh, now that word goes out and people hear the message of God. And so what are the attributes of faith? Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So when you hear the word of God, the word of God is to add a substance to your soul. The way I would compare faith is very similar to love. You know, the Bible says the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love, and out of that is love, right? So whatever faith is like, love is like and even greater. So think about the greatest of these is what? Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is what? Love. So just in a comparison, if I can look at love to understand faith better, that's okay because faith, uh, love is a greater thing, right? And how many of you have experienced love before? Can you hold love? Can you paint it red and give it to your friend? Can you buy it at Walgreens for $1.99 or two for three? No, but you know it's there when it's there. How many have ever had your heart broken in love leave? Or love hurt or something like that, right? How many of you have lost a loved one? And the love for them caused, you, you loved them so much you felt the pain. and You wanted to be comforted, right? I think faith is very similar to that. How do I know God is real? Have I met him? No. Have I shook his hand? No. Like I said, I see the, the nail prints. No. But I know here. I know by faith. I know when I hear the word, I trust it and believe it. I know an assurance comes into my heart. I have tested and have seen things come afterwards, absolutely. But how did I know that day before I ever tested? See, a lot of times people say, well, if God does this, I'll believe. If God does this, I'll believe. That's not how it works. As a matter of fact, the necessity is that faith comes first. It's impossible to please God without faith, for those that come to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you guys see that? So you can't say, God, I don't believe in you. Do something, and then I'll believe in you. No, the first thing you do is say, I believe in you because I trust you. Now show me that you keep your word. Do you see the difference? Because if you come to God without faith, you will never have a prayer answer. If you come to God without believing that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, you'll never have an encounter with him. Now, all you need in the uh, the world of faith is just the size of a mustard seed, and that's all I had the day I came to Jesus, so I'm a high school dropout, I've been arrested eight times, doing drugs, got drugs in my pocket, even at my mother's kitchen table, and it's significant why I'm at my mother's kitchen table, it's because she had prayed for me all those years, she had faith, even when the sight saw, saw that I was tore up, but she kept praying, so I'm at her kitchen table, and I'm about ready to, to leave and argue with her or whatever, but yet... When she keeps telling me Jesus loves me and that Jesus died on the cross and that I need to repent, I don't know how it was for you, but this is how it was for me. I felt something was true about that. Like right. that message was true. It was as true to me that Jesus loved me. I felt that the same way as that my mother loved me. See, I had faith in my mother's love. Never saw it, never painted it red, never put it in a jar and gave it to my friends, right? But I knew she loved me. And I knew that story was true. Now the moment I acted on that, something happened. I felt the Holy Spirit. It was as if somebody took a hot bucket of oil and poured it over me. and It didn't burn, but yet it set my heart on fire. And then my mother gave me a Bible and said, now go home and read it. And I go and just open it up in the middle to the book of Psalms. And as I start reading it, tears start coming down my eyes because now I feel that God of the Bible loves me even though I haven't loved him and I've broken his commands. So that starts my journey of faith. I don't know what yours was, but you have to understand that faith is a substance and it's necessary and there's no way around it. So humble yourself and trust him. And faith, as the Bible says, without works is dead. So if you do not add works to your faith, you're just playing make-believe. And that's not good. Don't just play make-believe with God. Have true faith. And so what is the growing of faith? I showed you, right? Goodness, knowledge, all there if you want to take a look at it. Self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. So here are these thoughts that I want to end with uh, here, and I want you guys to be honest with yourself. I know I've been a little long today, but please be patient. There's four things I want to leave you with. I'm not going to go into all the passages. I'll just summarize them. Take my word for it. If not, go and look it up yourself. It's okay. Test the pastor. But two things, uh, I mean, these four things, starting with this, uh, kindness and sternness. you got to know that God is kind to those who have faith, but he is stern to those who disbelieve. I know that sounds harsh. Go back and read the passage. The Jewish people were with God and they started disbelieving and he swore to them, you'll never enter into my rest and he'll do the same to us. God will be stern with you if you don't believe and trust in him. You're rejecting his character. You're uh, making him out to be a liar. If you don't believe what he said, you're making him out to be a liar. And the kindness of God It's beyond our understanding. How many of you have known the kindness of God? That he loves us no matter what mistakes we make because when we stay true to what we know about him, he'll still forgive us. It's just when we deny him that he denies us. Do you guys get that? If I'm a true Christian and I believe in God and yet I stumble and fall and I come back and truly repent and make true repentance a part of my life I will always be forgiven I'll never not be forgiven but if I now want to use my sinning as a way to kind of just Lord I'm sorry I did it but I'm going to do it again and Lord I'm sorry I did it and I'm going to do it again and Lord, and I do it like I'm on a broken merry-go-round or a broken record God's not going to play with that God's going to look at me on judgment day and say I never knew you depart into the flames of fire Look at it just for yourself. I want us to show it to you because I love some of you so much. I want us all to be warned by this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Does everybody see that? If you keep on sinning after you know the truth, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Do you want to be consumed as God's enemy? I don't. So don't keep on sinning, right? Ask God for true forgiveness. The next thing that I want you to understand is how a heart becomes hard. Because people talk all the time like, man, I used to have faith, but now my heart's hard. Or "Or you'll look at people and they won't even say it, but their heart is hard, you know. Well, how does that happen? Well, what happens is when you know the truth, but you don't do it. And so you become self-deceived. So take, for example, if I wanted to cheat on my wife, can I do that with the kind of heart I have now? I couldn't. I can't even go to bed angry with my wife. Is that not true? I couldn't do it because I would be so convicted. So how would I be able to cheat on her? My heart would have to become hard towards her. So what would I do? What would I need to do? Well, every little thing she does starts to bother me. And when she says she's sorry, she doesn't really mean it. And so it's kind of like she deserves it. So I start telling myself, my wife really doesn't love me. And when she says she's sorry, she doesn't really mean it. And I start telling myself that lie so much that now when she's looking at me with tears going down her eyes, I love you, I mean it, why isn't it working? I'm saying, you're just pretending. And now somewhere over here, at a job or wherever, someone else is my type saying what I want to hear, and now my heart is ready for an affair. See, because my heart had to become hard towards her, right? Can I abuse my children right now? Can I take off my belt and whip them to the point where they're bloody? No, I couldn't. There are times when I have to discipline my children, give the, the little ones a da-da, what we call a hand slap, or a spanking on the butt with our hand. And sometimes I feel so bad because it's like, oh, my gosh, did I take it too far? Let me look at their hand. Is everything okay? Right? Like I'm a good parent. I, c- I could not whip them until they bled. Couldn't do it. But how does a parent do that? How does a parent do that? Their heart is hard. How does it get hard? By believing a lie. My child knows better. I've spanked them this hard before, and they didn't listen. They need to be spanked harder. Don't they know how hard I work? They deserve this. This is what they need. They're messing with my time. They're just a rebellious child. This is what I need to do, and that's how they do it. You understand? Same thing with slavery. How do you, how do you uh, treat a person as an animal? You can't do it as a Christian. Bible says slave traders go to hell, right? So how do you do it? You have to, you have to believe a lie. They're not human. They don't have the same right as me. I can t- treat them differently. And it's Now, put all of your sin in that same category. How do you lust? Same way. That person's not my sister. They're a sex object. They're making money off this. I want to go to bighooters.com. This feels good. This is right. Hard heart. Would you want to look at your daughter that way? Would you want to look at your sister that way, right? See, hard heart, jealousy, all of it comes from a heart. Now, how does it go towards God? Same thing. God's not like that, or I don't like, here's the thing about Oprah Winfrey, because I always talk about her, because she's like such a public figure, w- what does she say she didn't like about God? She read a scripture in the Bible that says God's a jealous God, and she said, I don't believe that. How could God be jealous? Which, you know, why would, why would God be jealous? And the idea was, the scripture says that he's a jealous God, because he doesn't want you to cheat on him with the devil, and go to hell and pay the price. You, you guys ever seen that by Oprah Winfrey? Some of you have seen it? Let me play that for you. Can I play that for you guys? Let me play it for you. Go ahead and turn up the volume here, and then I'll come back to it. This is why Oprah Winfrey uh, stopped serving God and made up her own God and started serving that idol. This is her talking about New Age here. off yeah, that that thing the mind please so is, you over, how do you
0: the uh, let me you get it here, it here. Oh, that's just it. okay I, <laughs> it because,
3: yeah um, take so off that let's just open open turn it down real quick there yeah. we go there we go thank you she starts quoting uh new age people so this idea that god is jealous comes from the scriptures it comes from the scriptures because the idea that we're going to do our own thing and expect god to get along with it it's not going to happen and so what we need to do is we need to serve god in fear and trembling we need to obey him just listen to what i'm saying please turn off the uh, powerpoint thing hit off the monitor just totally shut that off thank you thank you very much um Since Easter, we have been having a lot of new things around here, and it gets harder and harder for me to keep up, but we're getting it. Okay, so think about this. The thing about God being a jealous God is because he loves us to the point where he doesn't want us to go to hell. And when I say to my children, I am jealous of your time, what I am saying to them is as a parent, I don't want them to give their time to things that are bad. And Exodus 25, it says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So she did not want that God, and she didn't like that. So she wanted a God that shared his time and attention with all types of other gods. And the question is that I want to bring back to you guys in closing here is, are you going to keep your heart soft before God and truly love the Lord, or are you going to let your heart get hard? And that's what I'm trying to use the example with my wife and I, right? A hard heart. Turning your back on that person, right? Learning to hate the God of the Bible. And that's truly what it is. Next thing, somebody wants to say, well, how do I overcome my unbelief then? There's a great story in the Bible about somebody who came to God for a miracle. And he asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, you know, can you do this for me? And Jesus kind of rebuked him. And he's like, can I do it? I can do anything. Of course I can. And then the man looked back at him and goes, I believe, Jesus, but help me with my unbelief. Does anybody ever remember that story? And so the idea is, oh, man, I believe, but help me with my unbelief is the idea of growing in your Christianity. So listen to me. Do I believe that I never have to cheat on my wife? Absolutely. But sometimes do I have unbelief? Yes. So God, help me with my unbelief. Don't let me lust. Don't let me be tempted to be bitter in an argument towards my wife. Do I believe that this church can fill up and have lots of people? Yes, yes. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it, right? Like on a Memorial Day weekend, and like we have a smaller second service after a super huge, the first service was overflow, right? It was a powerful, it's like over 200 people here. And then a second service, Memorial Day weekend, wherever. Well, this is unbelief for me then. Like, oh man, I don't know if I can believe. Well, God, help me. Help me to believe that second service can be just as fruitful as. Uh, Second service could be as fruitful as as first service, right? You all with me on that? So what are you facing? It's going to be dealt with the same way. Yes, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And then lastly, just in closing, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So. If you need more faith today, if you're like Pastor, I kind of believe a lot of what you're saying but I'm not sure on other stuff, well here's how you get the faith to believe. Faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So if you want to believe more about God you want to be more, uh, a better mother and you want to learn how to be a woman of God or a father, you know, learn how to do what God calls you to do. Or in your schooling, some of you young people about ready to get out of school and maybe start college or enjoy your summer break. How are you going to have faith to do that? You're like, well where Where is faith? I don't know where it's at. Where is it going to hit me on the head? You know, faith comes from the word of God. The more you study it, the more you read it, the more you see God's character. And that's why you trust him. Remember, faith is like trust. Faith is, is like saying, God, I believe in you, even though I don't always see you or understand you. And that's why everything is possible for the one who believes. So before my mother ever saw my salvation, she believed it was possible, so she believed. Before I ever got married, I was a bachelor for 10 years, and I thought I was going to be a bachelor to the rapture. I had to believe. Before I was ever a father, I had to believe I could be a good father. Now I have four children, and my fifth's on the way. Before we ever started this church and could have a wonderful day, a celebration, a day of graduates, and you guys coming today, and I am thankful that you're here. Before all of you that would ever be here, I had to believe that a church could be started, right? So that's why we call it the good fight, the fight of faith, the, the, the place where you come to in life where you say, I'm willing to fight for this. I'm not going to give up. I won't just take it lightly and be like, oh, it didn't happen the first time I prayed, so I'm giving up. No, those who keep seeking, fine. Those who keep knocking have the doors answered. Those who keep asking, have it returned to them or have what's given to them. And that's why Jesus talks about the persistent widow. She keeps knocking on the door of the king saying, avenge me, avenge me, because I've been taken advantage of. And the king finally does something. Or the persistent neighbor that goes over to his neighbor's house, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and and his neighbor's sleeping, but he needs to borrow some milk so he can feed his kids or whatever. And he keeps knocking until the the person gets up because he's persistent. And that's why the Bible talks about fighting faith and holding on to faith and not letting go of it. And then those who do, it's called shipwrecking your faith. It's called giving up, and that's what we don't want to do. Amen? Would you all stand with me? Let's give Jesus a hand clap for his word. We love you, Lord. We're not clapping for the preacher. We're clapping for Jesus. Amen. Jerry, would you come, please? Would you just uh, pray right now and be honest with your heart? Do you have faith for the areas that God wants you to grow in and be obedient in? If not, you need to ask God to increase your faith right now. The next sermon series, we're going to go over the spiritual disciplines and the things that God wants us to do. But do you have faith that you can do them? Right now, examine your heart. It's not a library. Feel free to pray right now. Come on. Talk to Jesus and ask him for faith, to trust, to believe. As you do, I'm going to let Jerry sing, and then I'll come back up and pray.